Um, we have been talking the last couple weeks, uh, Ken Weitzma has been away on vacation, and so while he's been gone, we've kind of been talking about wisdom, because he doesn't know anything about wisdom, so we got rid of him so we could actually show up and talk about it. That's not true, but that's going to be on the internet, so sorry, Ken. Because um, we talked about giving your life away, we talked about character, and last week, uh, Ed Underwood was here, and that was phenomenal, right? Uh, such an amazing message from Ed Underwood just about the love that God has for us and how that, it, it, just, it just overrules everything else, overrules everything else. And when we get it, when we begin to get it, it radically reshapes who we are, how we think, how we make decisions, all those kinds of things. And so today we're going to kind of pick up with that. Um, wisdom. When I spoke two weeks ago, we drew up all this nonsense on the whiteboard about um, the secular culture, the sacred culture, and the distinctions between those and the right kind of reality. And I ended like really abruptly with this thought that wisdom is a path. It's a path. And that's exactly where I want to pick up this morning, that we got to get this into our heads this morning. So if you have your Bible, flip up into Proverbs, and we're just going to do a, a super quick little survey in the, in the book of Proverbs, starting in Proverbs 3. Let me get there real quick. There is this theme stitched throughout the Proverbs, and if we miss it, we're going to miss really the essence of wisdom. And our desire to be wise, our desire to get wisdom is going to be futile unless we really begin to understand uh, what God is saying here in the Proverbs about wisdom being a path. And so all I want to do is just do a quick survey and read a couple verses for you guys. The first one is Proverbs 3. Uh, verse 17. It says this, wisdom and all of her ways are ways of pleasantness. All of her paths are peace. Proverbs 3, 17. Wisdom and all her ways are ways of pleasantness. All her ways are paths of peace. And look over to verse 11 in chapter 4 if you have your Bible. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. I've taught you the ways of wisdom. I've taught you the path to follow in order to be righteous, in order to be upright, to be a person of character. I've taught you the path you need to walk in order to make that happen. Um, skip down to verse 18. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. That's beautiful. Proverbs 4.18, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Uh, skip over to chapter 23. Continue the survey. Um, we're going to 23, verse 19. It says this, listen, my son, and be wise. Keep your heart on the right path. Listen, be, be wise. If you want to be wise, you have to find the path, the path you must walk down. Listen to me. If you want wisdom and get, you want to get wisdom, find the path that you're supposed to navigate, that you're supposed to follow Christ down with your life. And then lastly, uh, if you go back to Proverbs 3, I don't know why I put this one at the end. It should, probably should have been at the beginning. Proverbs 3, 6. Uh, Proverbs, let's just read 3, 4, 5, and 6. Uh, sorry, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Trust God in his understanding. 
Put your faith in his understanding above your understanding and he will make straight your paths through life. He'll make you straight. So you guys are hearing this word, the path. It's consistent. It's a theme woven into the heart of the DNA of wisdom is that it is a path. And and there's two things really that I think it's important to point out, you know, that these are implying right off the bat. And one is that wisdom is not a door. It's not a door. There's no door wisdom. Wisdom is a path, right? We kind of get this this idea that there's a threshold, right? And every time I'm up here, I basically end up talking about the same thing, which is everything is a process and everything comes back to identity. So just write that down for today and we're just gonna get, get to it, those two things right there. It's, this, it's a path, it's a process. It's not this door that you suddenly swing open and step through like you step from outside to inside the house to go from being unwise to through the door, oh, wisdom, awesome, got it, I'm here, I've arrived. I have it, right? Because what are the implications? If we, if we think of wisdom as a door, what is that going to do to us? Well, I think that one, um, our expectations, if we're expecting a door, our expectations are going to kind of determine our outcomes. And what I mean by that is if we expect wisdom to be a door, we're going to be looking for this event, Remember last time I was up here, we talked a lot about information and technique as kind of the two things in our culture that we really, really value. If we have the information, if we have the right technique, we can do it. And that's kind of this cultural phenomenon that's rushing through um, our lives, our worldviews, our ideologies, our town in Bend, Oregon. That culture can really determine a lot about who we are and what we think, and it can happen without us even knowing it. And people are selling this kind of thing. This is the thing you've been missing. This is the thing you're looking for. This is the thing that will give you meaning and purpose and hope and peace and satisfaction. This is the thing that will get rid of the depression and the loneliness and the alienation and the heartache and all those kinds of things. This is it. It's a door. Walk through it. Be made full. Have all these things instantly. And Proverbs is saying right from the beginning, no, no, it's it's a path. It's a path. And if you think it's a door, The worst thing that could happen is you could find that door and walk through it and think, okay, I'm done. I'm here. I no longer have to work for it. I no longer have to be teachable. I no longer have to be humble. I no longer have to ask questions and seek more and more and more and more. I've arrived. I'm through the door. It's done. The event happened. I can always go back and go, remember, I'm wise. I did the thing, the the strategy, the technique. I read that book. I'm here. I've got it. And I think that's one of the worst things that could happen. But probably what most likely will happen if we really think that wisdom is this door kind of technique, we find it, we walk through it, all of a sudden we have it, is that we go through a door we think is the thing and then it doesn't satisfy. So what do we do? assuming, expecting wisdom ought to work in the way of this door analogy is we go look for the next one. We go look for the next one. This one worked for a little while, but nah, this is not really what I was hoping for. We go look for the next one and we get busy. And this is kind of the second thing is that our expectations will determine where we put our energy. We're gonna be really, really busy running around looking for the strategy, looking for the technique, looking for the door. We're going to miss the whole time, the whole point, the thing. We're going to be missing the essence of what it is we're trying to do in finding wisdom, and that is it is this process. And if we could take our energy, invest it, 
wisely into a patience that says, I'm gonna walk this path. I'm gonna walk this path and receive what God brings me, what he teaches me, how he encourages me, and it might be hard and it might hurt, and it might be a broken relationship for a while, and it might be a loss of a job, it might be all these kinds of things, but I'm going to turn that pain, that suffering, that question, that doubt into more wisdom. And that's how it works. Character, men, women of character, the saints, the people we look up to uh, throughout the history of the world in the Bible, it's not that they avoided pain or suffering or doubt or questions. And that's why we look to them and celebrate them as, oh my, you are godly people. They're, they're godly people and we celebrate them and we admire their faith because in all of the stuff, in all the questions, in all the doubts, in all the heartbreaks, they take it and trust in the sovereignty of God to mold it into more wisdom. It's a path. It's a path that we move down. And so if our expectations determine our outcomes, if our expectations determine where we spend our energy, uh, and, and we think it's a door, we think it's an event, we're going to be missing the heart of wisdom. Um, the second thing that this implies, sorry, wisdom is not a door to, wisdom isn't just any path, it's the right path. It's not just any path, it's the right path. And so we're going to continue a quick survey to see exactly what, what I'm trying to say. Um, Proverbs has plenty, plenty to say about the wrong path. Check this out, Proverbs 2.15. Um, it's a, it's a warning coming against evil men in Proverbs 2.15, and it says this, watch out for evil men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Watch out for the evil men whose paths are crooked and they're devious in all of their dealings. Proverbs 5.6, there's a warning against the folly of adultery, and it says this, Adultery gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, and she knows it not. I mean, watch out. Watch out for this mistress of adultery because her paths are crooked, and she doesn't even know it. She talks like it's the best thing in the world. She talks like she's right on target, but watch out for that because it is empty and crooked and backwards. Proverbs 10.9, the man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. Proverbs 21, 16. I love you guys trying to keep up out there. A lot of pages turning. A man who strays from the path of understanding comes to rest in the company of the dead. A man who strays from the path of understanding comes to rest in the company of the dead. So there's... Something happening here. Proverbs, clearly, wisdom is a path. You want wisdom? Get it by finding the path. It's straight. But watch out for the unwise path because it's crooked. So how do we know? I mean, 2010, August, Ben Dorgan, how do we know the straight from the crooked? Uh, Matthew 7, Jesus offers something interesting here. 
um, he's basically resonating, re-articulating to a group of people exactly what the Proverbs is saying about the relationship between these two paths. So Matthew 7, 13, we're gonna look at this real quick. Jesus is kind of wrapping up the end of, I don't know, probably one of the best speeches of all time, the Beatitudes. Basically a code of conduct for behavior. I mean, what it really, really looks like when you get down to the foundation of the kingdom of heaven, what it's built on, how it operates, the principles that we ought to pursue if we are seriously committing our lives. And so kind of near the end of this, Jesus says this, Matthew 7, 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. Verse 14, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. I hate to be the guy that says there's two kinds of people in this world, (laughs) but I'm always saying that, so I think I am that guy. There's two kinds of people in this world. And every time someone says that, my girlfriend Jenna just like nudges me and laughs at me because it's simply just not true. But there's the straight path people and there's the crooked path people. Jesus is saying, there's the people, he's, I, I just imagine him like in, in Orange County in LA on I-5 at like five o'clock on Wednesday. He's like, you see this? You see these millions and millions and millions and millions of people? This is the way that is easy. This is how most of culture operates. They'll find the easy way and they'll take it. I mean, that's how most people go about the process of decision-making is they'll look at the options and go, easiest, done. Let's do it. Jesus is saying, look, there's two ways you can go here. You can go with everybody else. You can be sitting in that traffic jam with everybody. It's wide, it's flat, it's easy, and it's overrun with people. And Jesus says, there's one way that that path is going, and that path is to destruction. But hold on, because there's another path. There's another path, and it's narrow. I mean, it's, it's the trail up Everest. It's narrow. And you get up there, and you look around, and you're like, where is everybody? And you look down to the valley and you see this broad, easy, wide road that's crowded with people and you go, oh yeah. And and what's the difference? The easy road, the hard, the the, the road that leads to destruction, the road that leads to life is Jesus saying the one that leads to life, it requires something of you. It has a cost. And that's why everybody is so satisfied and content on this easy, broad road that requires nothing of you because it doesn't require anything of you. You just go with the flow. You just let the current of culture move you. You just think what everybody else thinks. You just believe what's fashionable to believe. And Jesus is saying, he's saying to, you know, at the end of this amazing, amazing sermon, saying, look, be wise enough to recognize that road. Be wise enough to see the folly of it, the traps of it, the tricks of it, the manipulation of it, because sometimes it might look very similar to the road I'm asking you to walk. But through wisdom, through discernment, what is the road? 
What is the road that is straight and leads to life? What is the road that Jesus is leading us down? I can guarantee you it's going to be a path that requires something of you. I guarantee it. And it's going to be a path, it's going to be a process of walking that he leads you down. I had this amazingly eccentric basketball coach when I was in college. And he was like the fourth assistant coach, so he didn't really have any authority or any power. Um, I'm not even sure if he ever played basketball. Uh, I think he just liked... Uh, you know, on the road trips, we'd get to go eat um, for free. I think he liked that part, so he was, he was around for that. Um, and he, he was this really big, loud guy. And I went to school in Atlanta, Georgia. He had this super thick southern accent. And uh, he couldn't really say my name right. My, my name is Matt Smith. <laughs> he, called me, he called me Smith. Smith with two F's. And then that turned into Smithers. So for, for most of my college career, I was affectionately known as everyone in the basketball community as Smithers, which is, that just sounds empowering, doesn't it? <laughs> like really intimidating. Um, but he, he, had this, he had this line. I thought this was this brilliant line. And he would say, Smith, watch out. <laughs> and uh, he'd say, Smith, watch out because... The path of least resistance makes rivers and men crooked. That's what he'd say to me. Smith, watch out out there. Because if you just go walking down the path of least resistance, man, you're going to be like a river, crooked as all get out. And no one wants to be around that guy. <laughs> There's a little bit of brilliance in that. I'm sure he got it from somewhere else. I don't know where. <laughs> but that's really, really profound. The path of least resistance makes rivers and men crooked. I haven't forgotten that. It's been like 10 years. Hey, does that make sense? I mean, seriously, just think of a river. It goes where it's easy. It follows the easy path. And if we, if we set our lives to being like that river, we are going to be just as crooked. And see, that's... That's the thing Jesus is getting at. That's the thing that the Proverbs is getting at. That's the thing Jesus is saying in Matthew 7. The hard road that leads to life requires something of you. Because if it doesn't require something of you, it's not significant. I mean, think about that, that, that statement again. The path of least resistance makes rivers and men crooked. The easy, if you always do the easy thing, it's easier to steal than to work you're going to be a thief. It's easier to go onto the internet and, and look at pornography than to love my wife intimately. It's, it's easier to go to McDonald's than to grow my own cabbage and my own tomatoes and my own lettuce. <laughs> Was it a rough cabbage here? It must have been a rough tomato here, too. <laughs> That's what happens when you only have, like, four weeks of summer. Um, 
It's easier to cheat on the test than it is to really study and be prepared. You guys hear, you hear what I'm saying? If all you do is the easy thing, if all you take is the, is the easy way out, there's going to be a character issue. You are not going to become the kind of person that God can look at and say, yes, I can, I can use you because you are a man and a woman of character. You're willing to walk the path. You're willing to take the heartbroken doubt, questions, pain, and all the good things that come with it too. You're willing to use those. You're willing to let me use those and leverage those to bless people, to do my work, to build the church, to bring people back to me. But if you're over here totally opposed to that, just saying, I'm just going to do easy, easy, easy. God's looking at that and saying, all right, go for it. That's the, that's the road you've chosen. And you're going to be crooked. You're going to be a person that's backwards. You're going to alienate yourself from your very own humanity, from your very own identity. You're not made to be this crooked person. You're made to be with me, to walk straight, to know wisdom, to let me use you, to let me bless you. But if you want to do this, if you want to live this shallow, crooked, cheating, stealing, backwards kind of life, it's folly. It's folly. But go ahead. I um, was thinking about this this week, and it reminded me this, um, this distinction between the easy and the hard, and how wisdom is a path that we journey with God that molds us and shapes us one day at a time versus this easy kind of thing where either one, we don't care at all about wisdom, we don't care at all about using our life to glorify God, and we just do what satisfies us regardless of the moral implications, the spiritual implications. So thinking about this distinction, and I thought back to this uh, short story that I wanted to write. <laughs> I never did write, but I wanted to write this, this story to kind of capture the essence of these two things. And as soon as I started thinking about it, I couldn't get it out of my head. And so I figured, well, I just must, I must, if I get up here and tell you that I wanted to write the short story and then tell you the short story, I won't have to write it. And that like takes a lot, that takes a big load off my plate because that's going to be a lot of work. And I don't know if Don Jacobson is in here somewhere. He's not happy about the sound of that. Um, <laughs> long story there. Anyway, short story capturing these two things. Here's the story. Um, there's a guy, and it's, it's Times Square, right? It's not, it's not New Year's Eve, it's um, August 12th, okay? It's August 12th, somewhere in the future. And Times Square is packed, New York City. It's packed out, millions and millions and millions of people. And this guy comes up to the podium, this decent, respectful-looking gentleman wearing a suit. He's probably in his early 60s, um, got a nice-looking beard, a little bit of gray hair, really, you know, small glasses, very smart-looking individual. And he gets up there, and it's just like, chaos. The celebration is just unprecedented. How excited, how, um, how relieved everybody is. And it's not only in Times Square, but it's like every city and every country around the world is like piped in via satellite and they're going crazy because they just, they watch this guy come up to the podium and it's just, it's just buku bonkers. You know, New Year's Eve is like a third grade pinata party compared to this. Okay, this is this is nuts, this is insane. So this guy steps up and he pulls out one of these things and he opens it up without saying a word, without saying a word. And he, 
He puts a bunch of pills in his hands and he raises one up like this. And everybody's just like, oh, you know, like, like World Cup times a million kind of madness. Like, it's just insane. He holds up this, this tiny little pill and everyone just starts going nonsense. And he just keeps going like this, going like this. And finally he says, we did it. We did it. Years and years and years and billions of dollars of research, we finally made the pill that cures everything. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fictional. <laughs> we finally made the pill that cures everything. It's done. We did it. And everyone's like, yeah! You know? And he, he starts to explain, like, no more cancer, no more AIDS, no more malaria, no more diarrhea, no more upset stomachs, no more pink eye, no more ingrown toenails, no more uh, hair. It even keeps your hair in. No more loss of hair. Um, you take this pill, no more obesity, no more anorexia. Uh, all of it is right here. It's cured. I mean, it's, it's, it physically cures you. But also, check this out. No more depression. It's like mentally, it's just going to... You're going to be, oh, you're going to be perfect. You're going to be made whole. This pill can do it all. And like even like anger and bitterness and like evil thoughts, like you take this pill, you're never going to want to hurt another person because you're just going to love them, right? Like all these kinds of things, like we did it. And of course, you'd imagine like the celebration would be massive, right? I mean, that's what we're all looking for, right? Like the pill, the thing. And this guy makes it. So inside of this massive, massive celebration, there's our man, the antagonist. <laughs> right, you've got to have that guy. He's standing there at Times Square like this, um, like trench coat, you know, big hat, sunglasses. It's night. <laughs> and behind his sunglasses, um, his eyes are like beet red. And he's looking up at this guy. And he hates him. Hates him. Completely bitter. Because, because he was the doctor at the other hospital trying to invent the same pill. <laughs> he got beat. He lost. No, he hates that guy. He literally wants to kill him. He's furious. He's the only guy on the face of the planet not excited about the breakthrough, about the invention, about the possibilities of a life without disease. The only guy. And the whole point of the whole story is that we have this thing we think that will fix everything and everyone takes it. But this guy who's bitter, who got beat, he takes his bitterness and he bumps into somebody in Times Square and they see him and they sense his rage. They sense the crookedness of his heart and they're infected with it. <laughs> and then another person is infected with it, and another person is infected with it. And I don't know how the story ends yet because I haven't written it, but now that I'm telling it in front of a couple hundred people, we'll just say that it doesn't end well. Um, it doesn't end well at all. So the whole point of this whole, of this whole story was just to really capture <laughs> the idea that character... Character is far more important, far more contagious, far more significant than we think. And maybe, just maybe, like we're all running around focusing on the wrong death. We're focusing on, on the wrong death. We're looking for the wrong cure. 
We're looking for the, the thing that we can take that will make everything okay. And we're running around so convinced that death is undoing us all, that it's the great enemy, that it's undoing our very existence. But far more serious, I think, than the dying of a man on the outside is the dying of a man on the inside. The decay of the soul that silent, slippery slope that takes you from being focused, obedient to the path of life, of wisdom, to the crooked path that seeks only its very own ends, to satisfy its very own desires, regardless of the consequences, regardless of the implications. And the strangest thing this week, that as I was thinking about wisdom, I kept thinking about death. Kind of because of this short story, but just, and you know, it just kind of hit me. There's a, there's a really strong connection between wisdom and death. And it, it might sound kind of morbid, um, but about six months ago, I sat down for the very first time in my life and thought seriously about my own death. Um, I went and bought this journal at the store and I sat down and I started writing in it about what it would be like to no longer be alive. About my own fear, about my own insecurity, about my own identity, about my own temptation to be a thousand other people and never myself about the temptation on the night at three o'clock in the morning when I can't sleep because I can't figure out why it's so hard to walk this path and all I wanna do is just say, forget it, I'm gonna go do my own thing and starting to write all those things down and to write down names of people in my life that I love and what I want to say to them. Not so that if something happens they can read it but so that I can actually go to them and tell them there is this incredible gift that comes when we think seriously about our own lives. You guys ever been to a funeral? It's, it's, it's powerful. Everybody in the room simultaneously contemplating their own mortality. Who am I? Why am I here? What am I doing? Am I doing it right? Can I do it better? Is it really this finite? Is it really this fickle? What really matters? What's significant? Where is their purpose? Where is their meaning? All at once in the same room. To think seriously about your own life. To think seriously about death. Not to obsess on it. But because when we do, there's an incredibly profound thing that happens. Three things, I think, that happens. When you do, and I'm telling you, if you do, it's not fun. <laughs> but if you do, the first thing that it brings is perspective. Perspective, an ability to see the landscape of your life, where you are, who's in it, what are you doing, where are you? A perspective to see the landscape of all the things that make up your life. I mean, it is clear 
when you sit down and process the fact that you might not be here tomorrow. The ability to see the landscape of your life. Second, priorities. It brings into crystal clear focus where you're putting your energy. I mean, where you're really focused. I mean, it, it, it brings out the distinction between what you want to do and what you're actually doing. I really want to tell my kids I love them, but I haven't in five years. <laughs> I, really, I really wanted to go work for this organization because I believe in what they're doing, but it's just, I can't get there because it doesn't pay enough. It really, really brings into focus your priorities. And lastly, when you do, if you do, it comes to prayer. And this process, I mean, the people that encouraged me to do this, I mean, I was going, when I, when I really started to sit down and do this, I was on my way to Sudan and Congo, and I'm reading like U.S. embassy travel warnings. I'm reading the newspaper of people being abducted and all these kinds of things, and I'm like, all right, this is real. This is real. Am I, would I give up my life for this? Would I go wholeheartedly knowing I might not come back? What does that mean about my life? All the things I've never done, all the things I want to do, all the people I want to meet, what does it mean if I can't accomplish any of those? Is this worth it? And at the end of that process, the perspective, the landscape, life and priorities, what it is that I'm committing to and doing wholeheartedly, and the prayer that comes out of that is significantly different than most of the prayers we spend uh, our time praying. I mean, it basically, it boiled down to this. It's this simple as a prayer. Father, not mine, but your will. That is the boldest prayer I've ever come across. Jesus in the garden, in Gethsemane, on his knees, desperate for relief, desperate for a way out. Father, this cup, if it can pass, please take it from me, but not mine, your will. The pain and all of this kind of thing does not bring into question your sovereignty, God. Not mine, but your will. I tell you guys, there are no three better, <laughs> there are no three better tools to discern the difference between the crooked path and the straight path in perspective, priority, prayer. I hate that they all start with P because it sounds really cheesy perspectives, priorities, and prayer. And I'll just encourage you guys. I mean, we said a couple weeks ago, wisdom is living competently with regard to reality, the right reality, living with competence in regard to reality. And the reality of it is, we're not gonna be here forever. We're gonna die. I mean, what a, what a bummer of a message today. <laughs> if you came in here thinking differently, I apologize to be kind of the Santa Claus pulling the curtain back on the whole thing. And I don't think that if you take this thought from the Proverbs, this thought from Jesus, this truth that in reality we are gonna die, 
And we have the opportunity to walk two different kinds of paths. If you really take it and process it and pray through it, we're not going to become a community of morbid people, obsessed with weird, gross, dark things. Beekner, who's one of my favorite authors ever, Frederick Beekner, says that until you seriously consider your own death, you are never willing to seriously consider your own life. Because it brings things into perspective. It, it focuses your priorities. It leads you to pray these kinds of ridiculously bold prayers that God can move mountains with and bring people back to life with. Things that he can restore relationships with. Things that he can build the church with. And if we're just gonna be these people over here on the, on the easy, broad road, crowded, just being moved along by the speed of traffic, going, wow, there's nothing I can do, I'm just here. God's saying it like that. That kind of mentality, that kind of belief, that kind of thing is so opposite from what I'm trying to do. So don't expect it to be a pill. Don't expect it to be a book or just a quick fix. Expect it to be a lifetime. Expect wisdom to be a path. Expect the invitation that Jesus gives you is to himself. Not just to a cause that you can complete and be done with, but to himself. The invitation is to himself, and I'm telling you guys, he's moving, and he's acting, and he's breathing, present, continuous, I-N-G. It's happening. Didn't happen. Happening. And that's the invitation he's inviting us to be a part of. Wisdom is a path. And, and, and I was thinking, <laughs> random thought, as Justin was talking about driving with his kids for 14 hours, Oh, huh. like I remember being a kid. We'd, we'd drive to Ohio every year from Colorado, and all you all you do is complain, is you hate it, because at the other end is Grandma and Grandpa's house with the swimming pool, and you're like, I'm not I'm not happy about being in the middle of Kansas right now. Where's the pool? Like I don't want to get there. I just want to be there. I don't want this process of getting there. I don't want to drink high C juice things out of a cooler in the car. I just want to be drinking lemonade by the pool. I want to be there. And it's funny how childish that is. But what's not funny is how most of our mature, grown-up Christian culture still operates with that belief. I don't want to get there. I just want to be there. I don't want to drive 1,800 miles. I don't, I don't want to spend 60 years wrestling with this. I don't want to be made new over and over and over and over. I just want to be there. Can I just be the guy that's wise? Can I just be the one who has a little Can I just be the saint? I'll tell you guys what. Saints are never satisfied with shortcuts. They're never satisfied with shortcuts because shortcuts twist up your character. They make you shallow. They lead you down this road that's broad and, and unfulfilling and easy and insignificant. The saints are satisfied when they wrestle with the deep truth and meaning and purpose and grit of life and come to God and say, I'm empty and broken, but I'm not leaving because you're good. And I get that. I'm walking this path with you, God. I'm coming to you and you, you shape my perspective and you put into line my priorities and you put this prayer in my heart that it's not about me, it's about you. That's the wisest thing I can do with my life. It's the wisest thing I can pray. It's the wisest thing I can imagine using myself for is to say, God, not my will, but your will. 
It's a path. I'm committed. I'm walking with you. I forsake the broad, easy road that's crowded. God, draw me back into you. I want the process. I want the path. I see the goal. I see how it's going to end. And I know the only way to get there is to walk with you. The challenge, if you want it, this week is to begin the process of thinking seriously about your life and the truth that your death will come and the perspective and the priorities and the prayers that come out of that are going to be the richest you're ever going to find in your whole life. They've been the richest I've found in my life up to this point. And I'm aware that what I'm signing us all up for is a process. No one ever gets to get up here and tell you, well, I did it this way in 1962 and it worked, so do it. I I did it and I did it again and I did it again and I did it again and I did it again. And God wrote and rewrote and rewrote my heart over and over and over. Wisdom is a path. Commit to walk the path. Discern the difference between the the crooked and the straight path. And we'll end with Proverbs, or I'm sorry, Psalm 25, 4. I'll have the band come back up. Psalm 25.4 says this. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Proverbs 3.5.6. Do not depend on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Father, I pray for Antioch, I pray for Benz, I pray for your kingdom to come. God, I pray that we would be so bold as to say, not our will, but your will. And God, we pray together, Psalm 25, four, that you would show us your ways, that you would teach us your paths. Amen.